Today, what we know and don't know about the whereabouts of Wagner's mercenary boss. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen tells Beijing to adopt market reforms, or the US and its allies will fight back. Twitter threatens legal action against its new rival, Meta Threads. And Silvio Berlusconi's will is made public. It's Friday, July 7th. This is Reuters World News, with everything you need to know from the front lines in 10 minutes every weekday. I'm David Spencer. And I'm Tara Oakes in London. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. We start with the latest breaking news from around the world. Janet Yellen has touched down in Beijing with a warning for officials over China's treatment of international firms. Yellen's insisted that the US is not seeking a wholesale decoupling of the two economies, but criticised Beijing's use of subsidies and punitive actions against US companies. The US seeks healthy economic competition with China. But healthy economic competition, where both sides benefit, is only sustainable if that competition is fair. The Treasury Secretary will meet a slew of top officials and business leaders in a trip meant to calm growing tensions between the two superpowers. Twitter is threatening to sue Meta over its new Threads platform. A lawyer's letter sent to Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg accuses him of hiring former employees and gaining access to company secrets. The US plans to send cluster munitions to Ukraine to help it battle Russia. The move faces opposition by human rights groups, but would provide a powerful new element to Ukraine's counteroffensive. The munitions, banned in more than 120 countries, typically release large numbers of smaller bomblets that can kill indiscriminately over a wide area, threatening civilians. Joe Biden's to attend a NATO summit next week in Lithuania, expected to be dominated by the war in Ukraine. If you're listening on Spotify, let us know what you'd like to know about next week's NATO summit in our Q&A. After an abortive attempt at a mutiny, Russia's Wagner Group chief was supposed to be headed to Belarus. At least, that's what a deal brokered between Yevgeny Prigozhin and President Vladimir Putin was supposed to look like. Now, Belarus's Alexander Lukashenko says Prigozhin is actually in Russia. Breaking News lead writer for Russia, Mark Trevelyan, is one of the Reuters team trying to track Prigozhin's movements. Mark, when did we last actually see him? So the last sighting of Prigozhin was nearly two weeks ago now, at the end of that short-lived mutiny where his fighters had taken control of the southern city of Rostov. What we have seen in the interim is a TV show produced footage of what it said was a raid on Prigozhin's offices and one of his palatial residences in St. Petersburg. And it showed all kinds of extraordinary 
materials that had allegedly been found, lots of money, gold bars, wigs, supposedly to disguise Prigozhin. And the message from this extensive TV report was that they're still going after Prigozhin. They haven't dropped the case and he's still very much under investigation, which is not what we were told by the Kremlin at the time. What might it mean if he is still in Russia? Some people think maybe he's being given time to tie up the loose ends of his business empire in Russia before clearing off for good. It could mean that he's miscalculated, maybe he's overplaying his hand, maybe he is seriously at risk of being arrested and prosecuted. I think the real problem for Putin would be if Prigozhin remained in Russia and started to speak out again in defiance of Vladimir Putin, because at the moment the Kremlin is maintaining this line that we don't really know and we don't really care what he's doing, but that sits rather uncomfortably with the way in which Putin himself played up the significance of the Wagner mutiny. And what about the rest of the Wagner fighters? They were given the option of going to Belarus too. They were given that option, but it doesn't seem that's happened. And Lukashenko said yesterday it was not clear if they would be coming and how many would be coming, although he did say he'd made a former Soviet military base available for their use if they wanted to. And uh, today we have a reporter in the group of journalists who are being taken to see this base. So it will be interesting to see what happens and what the Belarusian authorities are actually going to show them there. It's a succession drama, Italian style. And now we have an answer as to who got what in Silvio Berlusconi's will. Keith Weir has seen the billionaire's will, which has just been made public. Keith, any surprises? I think the most interesting thing is that Silvio Berlusconi has put his two eldest children firmly in charge of the family businesses in this will. What it kind of results in is a bit of a sort of 60-40 split between the two eldest children from his first marriage and the three younger ones from his second marriage. There have been some other interesting details, right? Interesting recipients? The couple of eye-catching things, Marta Fascina, who was Berlusconi's last partner, 33-year-old, she was given 100 million euros in the will, and it wouldn't be Berlusconi without a little bit of controversy. A man called Marcello De Lutri, who was a friend of Berlusconi's from university days, a long-time business associate, He got 30 million euros and the twist here is the fact that he was convicted in 2014 for mafia collusion and actually served time behind bars. And what does this mean for the companies in his business empire? What they've said so far is very much been a kind of business as usual mantra from Pierre Silvio who runs the TV business, which is probably the best known of them. And Marina, the eldest daughter, was already the chairperson of Fininvest, the family holding. So it doesn't look like in the short term there will be dramatic changes. The other thing that's up in the air and is not really in the will for obvious reasons is the future of Berlusconi's Forza Italia party. The leadership of that is up for grabs and that will have to be resolved in the coming months. So that could have a knock-on effect on the coalition government because Forza Italia is part of Giorgio Maloney's coalition government that's been in place for the last few months in Italy. To Wimbledon, where the first week's major excitement has mostly been off-court. Roger Federer's in the Royal Box, but not playing. There's no Rafael Nadal, and the often box office Nick Kyrgios dropped out before the tournament. But there has been a protest 
and rain. Covering the first week's action has been Mitch Phillips. Mitch, you're there. Has Wimbledon lacked a bit of spark so far? Yes, at first glance, it does seem to lack that stardust of those names that you mentioned, and Serena on the women's side. But for a long time, you know, people have been demanding the next gen steps up to challenge these guys. So Djokovic is there as the big gun to be shot at, and it's up to the next generation, like Alcaraz, number one seed here, to step into the void and make their mark as the next level of stars. What about that protest, though? Has it affected the tournament organisation? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't much of an impact in actuality. It only impacted the games for just a few minutes. It was just a bit of a sprinkling of paper. But it was, you know, the players themselves said they had a, a bit of a mental impact on them. They do feel vulnerable. You know, they're very close to the fans and it had been expected. So everyone was kind of on their toes waiting for a protest. Given that it was expected then, how was it actually allowed to happen? There's 18 courts, there's people, thousands of people standing around them. You know, and people smuggling in a few things down their pocket is literally impossible to stop someone jumping on a court. You can get them off quickly. You can probably keep them off centre court because they've got security guards. But these outside courts are surrounded by fans who are just a metre away from the tram line. So it's a physical impossibility. You just have to hope that they don't do anything really dramatic that could hurt the player. That's all we have for today's edition of Reuters World News. We'll be back on Monday with our daily news show. To make sure you know what's going on in the world, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast player or download the Reuters app.